Hi, I'm Kendall Gilding and this is My 30 Minutes with Laura Geitz. You'll know Laura as the golden girl of Australian netball. She was a fierce player who captained the Queensland Firebirds and Aussie Diamonds to huge success. But off the court, she's got that gorgeous country girl charm that makes you want to be her best friend, even if you're on the opposing team. Since hanging up the netball bib in 2018, Laura has made a seamless transition into the world of media. She's explored ambassadorships and even designed her own netball clothing range. She's also a wife, a mum of two boys, and she's pregnant with baby number three due in January. So how does she juggle it all? What are Laura's secrets to success? And why has she been able to make such a significant impact even after retiring? Stick around for My 30 Minutes with Laura Geitz. Laura, welcome to My 30 Minutes and welcome to the new Parkland Suite at the Emporium Hotel at Southbank. We've really elevated the location (laughs) for this week's recording. I don't think I'll ever want to leave. It's quiet, it's clean and it is so beautiful. (laughs) I know, we need to have a dip in the pool after this. And quite a change of scenery for you and I because we got to know each other doing Pilates at Body Smart in Paddington. You were pregnant with your second son, Frankie who was born only a few weeks before my daughter, Olive. So there's quite a short gap there. And they're both just over a year old now. And you're expecting another (laughs) baby. (laughs) I know. Call me crazy. But um, the time just flies. As you mentioned, Um, Frankie was one, as was Olive. So it really is a bit of a blur. And um, here I go again. I I think I had a moment of realisation this morning um, as I was getting Barney ready for kindy and getting Frank ready and thinking, where does the third one fit into this crazy? jigsaw and um, you know we've we've just actually got a little Shetland for Barney as well so she's become like another child because obviously the colder weather means she needs a rug on so um, we're growing our our family farm as well so it's just jobs galore and um, it definitely keeps me busy I think I just need to maybe rise a little earlier in the morning to, to tick off all the jobs. But I, I had the conversation with my mum yesterday on the phone. I said, it's 8.30 and I feel like I've done a day's full work. Like I'm, I'm ready to turn the car around and go back to bed. But life is good and I am, I'm very grateful for um, the overabundance that we've got and the busyness, that's for sure. Three under four, you are definitely going to be busy. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's um it will be crazy times. But I mean, when we're not the first people to do it, that's what my husband keeps saying. He's like, We're not the first to do it and we definitely won't be the last. So we've just got to get on with it. So I keep I keep thinking those words in the back of my head. <laughs> I always think it's good if you're gonna be in the trenches, just be in the trenches and you'll rise out of them soon yeah, enough. Yeah, we'll just be in the hurt locker for quite some years, I think. Yes. Look, family has undoubtedly undoubtedly played a huge role in your success as a netballer. Tell me about those early days as a young girl. You grew up in Allera, which is about a two-hour drive west of Brisbane. It's 160 k's. But your family made some huge sacrifices to help you succeed. Yeah, I I always say now, looking back on my childhood, I'm exceptionally grateful of what I had back then and completely took it for granted when I was growing up on a farm as a kid. You know, the endless space, the um, endless amount of animals, the endless amount of, um, you know, of fun that we had and, and all all the other families that were growing up around us. It was just like one, any small community is like one big extended family. 
So, um, you know, it's now that I look back and think, oh my goodness, I, I completely took that for granted as a kid. Um, and, you know, growing up in any small community, obviously sport is a huge part of, of that fabric as well. So, um, you know, that's obviously where my sporting journey began. And, and my parents, as you mentioned, my family was such a huge support in um, allowing me to continue down that sporting path. I think, you know, when when your parents are farmers and making a life off the land, it's... Um, it's not always easy as we see now so much, you know, you reap what you sow and it's so dependent on the seasons. So for them to consistently give me the opportunity to pursue my sporting dreams, um, regardless of, you know, the struggles that they were facing with, with drought, et cetera, um, is also something that I completely took for granted as a kid. And now I look back and think how lucky I was to have that. You tell a wonderful story about your mum making a huge drive with you every day. Well, maybe it wasn't every day, every week. How every often weekend. was this? Yeah, every- yeah, it was. Um, it was probably when you know netball for me as a 15, 16 year old really started taking off, um, and I was required to come to Brisbane a lot more for training and for games. Um, And I have to say, I had incredible coaches too that were based in Brisbane that would actually drive to Warwick to take me for sessions. Um, And, you know, such a huge part of my journey that, you know, they they had families. They were women that, you know, were school teachers that basically volunteered to coach and and also just found it in their hearts and their time to to drive two and a half hours to take me for a one-off session here and there. Um, but it became a ritual every Friday afternoon, mum would pick me up after school and we would come down to Brisbane and stay until Sunday evening. Um, so I could train and play. And I, I always say, I think mum and myself became really close at that time. You know, it's a, such an impressionable age as a young girl, as a teenage girl. And, you know, it's definitely not the cool thing to say that, you know, you love hanging out with your mum at that time. Um, but I genuinely, I did. A lot of my other peers were, you know, heading out to parties and, and probably living a very different life. But, you know, I was listening to the Eagles with my mum in a Commodore car as we made our way down the Cunningham's Gap. And um, it was just, it was a really special time for us. I think we, we definitely had some really great bonding time. And, um, and not only that, but, you know, even the people that we were exposed to here in Brisbane were very like-minded people. Um, the girls I found, I had a, a instant connection with. Um, And mum was introduced to all these different, you know, people as well. So it was like they opened their arms, they welcomed us. And it was a really lovely experience for us to both enjoy together. And not to downplay that either, because I don't think people realise perhaps how challenging it is when, you know, you're just a country kid and coming to the city to the big smoke is actually a really big deal. So I can imagine as a teenager, when you are so impressionable, that time could have also had the potential to be a little challenging, a little confronting and uncomfortable when you're a small fish going into a big, big pond. Oh, definitely. You know, I remember walking into Boondle Entertainment Centre um, in the very early days, which was my first experience um, of, of trialling out for the Queensland team. And I walked in in a pair of faded Canterbury ruggers and a Bonds white singlet 
you know, with numbers written on my on my legs and these I probably were wearing Lynx shoes and I walked into a Lorna Jane Nike, you know, just it was like a fashion parade of every great brand of clothing that um you know, each girl was wearing and instantly I, I thought this is the last place that I fit. Like I'm not even, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy of being here mixing it with these girls. Like they were gorgeous. They were fit. They were, you know, they just looked the part and here I was just this absolute dag. And, and I'd never actually really thought that until that very point of of walking into that stadium full of girls, you know, I, I never had those doubts or or concerns, and it was just like it hit me straight in the face. So um, I, I actually don't know how <laughs> I stayed there for that particular experience, and um, it was it was a huge learning curve, and um, and even now when I do clinics and I see the little girl that rocks up who you know has the the dirty shoes or the the clothes that don't fit or you know, that just looks like she doesn't really fit. I think you're, you're the next best thing. Like, you know, just, um, just give everyone the opportunity because you don't know what's underneath, um, all those layers. So it's, um, it was, yeah, it was definitely a big step for me, big step for mum, big step for my family. Um, but very, very grateful that we were given that opportunity. At what point in your teen years or your playing time, did you work out that this is what you wanted to do for a career? Is there a defining moment? Yeah, I think um, from a very early age, as soon as I I started playing netball, I knew that I wanted to play netball forever. I just loved it. I just had this passion for playing. Um, you know, it was it was to the point that when a game would finish, I just wanted to continue to play. And I always had that competitive nature and that instinct in me to win like I I loved the thrill of winning and I loved the thrill of coming up against somebody um and you know being the underdog and I think that's probably what kept me there that day was the fact that I knew there was match play at the end of the day and I got to take it to these girls and that was always this inner belief that I had that you know I don't care if I'm coming up against the best player I know I can take it to her. And I always felt like that brought the best out in me. So I think, you know, I always, I just, I had that belief that I wanted to compete and I wanted to to win. So, um, but the defying moment for me was when Kathy Freeman won her gold medal at the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. I remember sitting in my lounge room as, you know, a, I think I was in year seven and just thinking, I just want to achieve, I want to have that feeling of wearing the green and gold and winning a gold medal. And there, there was always just that in the back of my mind. And um, and then when I discovered netball, which was a little bit later, I think for me it was, you know, thinking that that was, that was my path and that was where I was going to achieve that same feeling and success was, was on the netball journey. So, The answer to that was, yeah, from a very young age, I just knew that I wanted to pursue netball and do well at it. How incredible that Kathy Freeman played such an instrumental role in just the mentality for you of wanting to achieve that success. Very cool. Have you ever told her that story? Yeah, I I actually wrote her a letter um, when I was, when, for the Olympics, when she was competing and, um, 
and she never responded to <laughs> She's probably a little preoccupied with the thousands of other letters and, you know, focusing on winning a gold medal. But the funny thing is I, I've, there's been a lot of girls um, that, you know, I've played my careers with that had that same moment. Really? So it, um, it just goes to show, you know, the impact of one woman's work and how much that can play a role in shaping other ideas and thoughts for particularly younger, younger athletes or younger girls that are coming through the ranks. No doubt you have had that impact on so many other girls, I'm sure. Sometimes when we're young, we're pushed into things, say, because we tick a few boxes. Take your height, for example. You're 190 centimetres tall, which is about six foot two. You've been this height since you were entering high school. And I imagine that does make people instantly assume, Laura, she'd be great at netball. She's tall. Did that happen for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, my height was something I desperately disliked about myself from a young age because it it obviously made me stand out in a bad way, um, particularly amongst all my peers. And, you know, when you're a teenager, you don't necessarily have the willpower or, um, you know, the the strength to kind of look past what you think is your biggest weakness at the time. And, um, and I, I really struggled with the fact that I stood out. I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to be like every one of the other girls in my class. And, you know, like to paint the picture, I was as tall as the year 12 boys at my school when I was in year eight. So I used to just, um, dread things like school assemblies where, you know, that was like on show. And I I used to just feel like every school assembly, everyone would come into that room and it was like, oh my gosh, look at Laura. She's as tall as the year 12 boys. And probably nobody, you know, would, would think that, but it was all, it just consumed me every single day of my life. Um, So I was definitely pigeonholed into, yep, you'll be great at netball. And I was, you know, the truth was from early on, I was terrible. I, I just, um, I was put in the goal shooter position and I couldn't shoot. Um, but they shifted me down to the defensive end and it was just, you know, I just found the place that I felt at home. Um, and for the very first time I felt like my height, um, was a huge advantage. You know, it, it helped me get intercepts. It helped me put pressure over the shot and I was applauded for it. Whereas, um, you know, walking through school, it was, it was where I was laughed at. So it was the one place that my height was really celebrated. Um, so for me, that was, that was one of the reasons as to why I just really clicked with the game early on. I'm about 20 centimetres shorter than you. So I'm 170 centimetres. And like you, I was this tall at 12. So going into grade eight. And I remember finding it incredibly awkward. I was so much taller than all the boys. It was just all limbs. And I remember getting picked on. So I can't even imagine how difficult it must have been for you having even that extra height. Mm. I'm curious, did, did the treatment you received in school was that able to spur you on on the netball court? Yeah, I think so. I mean, at the time, um, I hated it. You know, my initials, Laura Geitz, LG became Little Giraffe and and I was just a laughing stock. And, and it was probably from my other peers, particularly the boys, like they didn't realise the impact that it was having. It was just, you know, a bit of a joke amongst themselves and... Um, 
Yeah, 100%. You know, it was just, it was what it was. And um, yeah, like, but but I think I always liken it to anything, whereas there, there comes a time when enough is enough. And it's like, how many times can you poke the bear before the bear gets really angry? And, um, you know, I, I think through my schooling years, I, I never had... Um, the strength to really kind of retaliate or stand up. I was particularly shy and I thought, oh, I've just got to cop this, you know, which I did. Um, and it wasn't until I was then introduced to those other girls that I mentioned earlier about the fact that they were exactly the same person, just in a very, very different place. Um, you know, they, they were as tall as me. So here I was going, well, I'm not the only person in the world that looks like this. I might feel like this out in the country, but there's so many girls that are the same height, that are the same shape, that, um, you know, are experiencing the same thing. So I I think there was that time from Monday to Friday, I would go to school and go, oh, you know, here we go again. And then on the weekend, I'd be like, but I'm surrounded by these women that are, are the same. So I always say, and I say this to young girls too, like I can honestly say what I thought was my biggest weakness as a youngster actually turned out to be one of my greatest strengths because without my height, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, play the career that I, I played. Um, and a hundred percent, all the people that told me along the way that, um, you know, I needed this to be, you know, the best netball or I needed this skill or I needed to look like this or I needed to, to act this way were all my biggest motivators. You know, they were, the, they were the ones when I stood on the transverse line wearing the green and gold and sung the national anthem for my country were the ones, their faces were on a video reel of, you know, here I am. Like, you know, you, you told me that I wouldn't be able to be at this point and here I am. So, I now look back and and go, whilst you're going through it, it's really difficult to find any good in it, but they're actually your biggest motivators and they're the ones that that make you achieve the things that you, you go on to achieve. Life is often made up of many defining moments, some good, some bad. Tragically, during your career as a netballer, you lost your dad, Ross Geitz. This was in 2013 and you were only in your early 20s. He died out on the farm at Allerah and... This turned out to be a huge year for you. You went on to lead the Australian team for the first time, winning the Constellation Cup against New Zealand. And then just a few months later, you were named the captain of the Aussie team to compete at the 2014 Commonwealth Games. How do you think, I guess, just the depth and gravity of life and death would have played a role in your career at that time? Yeah, I think, you know, it's um, you look back on those moments and you think first how did I actually do that? Um, I think there's definitely an element of shock that, you know, that first six to 12 months of tragically losing, a, you know, someone who is so incredibly special to you that was with you one day and gone the next, nothing prepares you for that moment. So I think that you find yourself treading water and, and in a very strange place where people deal with it very, very differently. And for me, I, I often speak to mum about it and say, I think we were, you know, you're just in shock. And, and for me, it was... Um, Initially, family was always and is always paramount in our lives. And for me, the, the focus was making sure that mum was okay. And obviously, you mentioned being on a farm. There's always, you know, the, the tricky parts of what happens to the farm now. Um, so there was all those elements that needed to be obviously worked out. But I think 
I returned to, you know, playing for the Firebirds a couple of weeks after losing dad. And, and you know, I can't remember that game. I can't remember really the rest of the season. Um, but for me, the return to netball was um, probably my family away from my family. So it was a place where I could truly escape. Um, and for, you know, an hour at training or two hours at training, go to some normality um, and forget, you know, the horror that we were actually living through at that time. So that was a really big part in, I think, my my process of, of just working through it. And, and, you know, I think always in the back of my head and I, I always knew that dad would want me to continue to play. I just, I had that feeling that, you know, yeah, why not? Like, don't stop, you know, you've got to keep doing this. And that's, I think, where I found um, my, you know, later that year to be in the position of, of being elevated into that captaincy role for the Diamonds, you know, it was um, the whole experience just, you know, 2013 brought a lot of perspective. And I actually remember the Firebirds made the grand final that year and we lost in Adelaide. <laughs> and I remember sitting on the bench, you know, next to two of the other girls from the Firebirds team and we lost, we played pretty badly and we, we lost by a few goals and, and they were just sitting on the bench just crying, crying, crying. And I remember just thinking, I looked to one of the girls and I just said, it's going to be okay. And she said, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And I said, well, if this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, then you're doing pretty well, you know, this is, this passes, you know. And um, I think perspective you have to be taught perspective through some pretty challenging times. And 2013 was my challenging year, which taught me a whole lot about perspective and really, I think, set my mindset correctly for the rest of my career and where I was heading. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was surrounded by some incredible people to get me, you know, through those times, that's for sure. During your farewell speech, when you were retiring from the sport, you quoted your dad in that speech, and I want to re-quote him through <laughs> you. He had said to you, every opportunity that comes your way, grab it with two hands. Treat everybody the same way. Always know that there's going to be someone better than you. Always remain humble and take the game to the best place you can and leave it there for your time for the next person to come and take over. There's so much warmth and wisdom in those words did it influence how you approached your career when you decided to retire, those those thoughts and, and words from your dad? Yeah, I think those words, you know, were with me through every element of my career, you know, from start to finish when, you know, he was still here with us and then when we lost him, you know, those, those words were what I used to take with me to school athletics days at, at primary school. You know, you'd come home with a a blue ribbon and say, dad, I, I won the hundred meters. And he said, oh mate, that's so great. But you know, you go to the next stage now, you go to Warwick athletics and, and you know, there's going to be someone better than you there. And it was always, it was just that element of always knowing that, um, you know, those, what you just read there, there was so much to it that was used at different times and, and not just related to the sporting world, but related to life in general. And it's how he lived his life. And I think that for me, um, 
is exceptionally important that it's very easy for people to say things, but you know, for people to say things and live them through their daily actions for other people to see is exceptionally powerful. And that's why that had so much impact on me as a person, as a kid growing up and even now because he lived his words. And I think, um, yeah, like all of that stayed with me. And, and it's even incredibly important for me to pass that on to our children. I loved that probably dad's biggest strength was his ability to treat everybody very similar and to give everybody the time of day and to, you know, hear everybody's stories about where they've come from and what makes them tick. And, um, you know, that's not just about sport, it's about life in general, um, hearing people's stories and where they've come from. I think there's so much power to be heard from from each other's journeys. And I, I think that gets a little bit lost these days. So um, particularly in the leadership role, that was really important to understand, you know, you, your other team members, not everyone's the same. Everyone's got a different set of skills, but allowing them to use their skills and their strengths to the very best of their ability. So I always say, you know, we were exceptionally unfortunate to lose dad, but I was exceptionally fortunate to have, you know, the best role model that I could have for 24 years of my life. Some people don't don't get that at all. So, um, you know, you got to obviously take take the good and the bad. Last year, the Firebirds renamed their most valuable player award, the Laura Geitz Medal. In 2017, you were immortalised in bronze. You have a beautiful statue. Those two things alone show just the impact you made on the game and the community. Why do you think you've been so successful? Oh, that's a such a hard question to answer, but I it's because I, I played with incredible women and was surrounded by incredible women. So every single day that I went to work, I didn't necessarily go to work. I did what I absolutely love to do. And I, I say that the, the statue represents the hours of driving my parents did, the incredible players I played along beside the the coaches that came to Allura to coach me. The I was lucky. I just had amazing people along my journey that actually just made me love so much what I got to do. So, um, you know, and, and that's what I want. I want little girls that watch me play, um, see that how much I loved the game, like just through, you know, pure excitement and love of being out there on court. Do you think you're able to define success? I uh, Yeah. Success for me is doing something that you love, you know, um, there's going to be obviously the really challenging times, but again, to quote my dad, he was said to us from an early age, when you get up in the morning or when you choose what you want to do for the rest of your life, you have to get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to work today. You know, I'm off to do what I love. And when you reach that destination and when you find what it is that, you know, connects with you in that way, um, that's when you know you're doing the right thing. And for me, it was netball. And and now it's all the opportunities that that has brought me post, you know, playing out there on the court. I've spoken to one of your close friends, Gretel Tippett, who you've played alongside. You were even a bridesmaid for her earlier this year. So undoubtedly you're good mates. 
She's told me a little bit about you and just to summarise, she talked about your love of netball and saying you were so successful because you actually really loved what you did. You do have natural ability but you put in the work and because you loved it, it just all paid off. She did go on to say that you were the hardest opponent she's ever played against (laughs) and it's so much better being on your team. Oh, bless her. Which is good. (laughs) She talked about your killer instinct on court though And I'm always curious about that. You mentioned your competitive nature earlier, but also you're one of the kindest people I know, Laura. So I find it really hard (laughs) to reconcile that kind of killer instinct, white line fever and the kind, generous person that you are off the court. Yeah, and I, it's funny because I, I love I love the thrill of winning and it, it was win, of, win at all costs. I was so happy to put my body on the line. You know, I just loved it and I loved those moments. I felt like I just pined for those tight contests where our team would come back or it was a, a one-point goal. I used to dream about being the person that took the winning, winning intercept. So I just loved the pressure. I felt like it brought out the best in me. And maybe... Maybe it comes back to those early days of of those, you know, kids pushing the button and, and I always find that I, I do have a, a level head at times but when somebody pushes me over the edge or when somebody questions, um, you know, what I stand for or um, gets in the way of, of what I feel really strongly about, then that's when my killer instinct comes out. And that's that's just me. And, you know, it is, it's a case of poking the angry bear. And you might have to poke quite a few times, but then when, you know, that final poke comes that pushes me over the edge, that's when that killer instinct comes out. And, um, and you know, I, I surprised myself at times when I told Mark, my husband, I was retiring. He said, that is so great. I'm so excited about all the weekends we get to spend together now. I'm just really concerned about where you're going to channel your inner anger. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you probably should ask him and not me because there's definitely times um, that he's just like, holy dooly, who is this person? So, um, yeah, there, there is. I think there's, you know, there's that killer instinct and um, it does come out at times. It doesn't always come out, but it, it's definitely there. I always ask a friend or family member of my guest to describe them in three words. And Gretel used the words kind, beautiful heart and a true leader. We have talked about your kindness and your beautiful heart, but I'm interested in leadership because from the moment I met you, you do have a presence that commands almost attention and following. I can't really explain it, but you're the sort of person that when you meet you, you want to follow you. (laughs) And I want to know... Do you feel an ease with that level of leadership and really being influential? Because before the word influencer was used (laughs) for social media, people were naturally influential and you have that gift. Is leadership something you think about consciously? I think I've had some really life um, hard lessons in leadership and uh, probably the one thing that stood out to me was when I was put in that role and I thought suddenly because I was put in this role I had to change everything about who I was as a person and some of the best advice I was ever given was through Lisa Alexander who was the coach of of the Australian Diamonds at the time and and she said to me um, the reason you're in this position is because of everything that you've done in the past so why go changing now Um, so for me 
I had an exceptionally steep learning curve in that leadership role, particularly for the Diamonds. Um, it did definitely didn't go to plan and it was a case of really egg on, on my face in a way. But for me now, looking back, I'm exceptionally grateful for that experience. And what I always say to people about leadership is everyone is very different. Everyone's on a different journey. Everybody has a different set of skills. Um, what you bring as a leader isn't necessarily what the leader prior to you was all about, but that's okay. Um, the biggest thing is about you remaining authentic to who you are as a person and genuine and keeping that genuine behaviour. And I think when you are real and when you are authentic to who you are, people do follow you because they they sense that realness and that's all people want, you know. It, it's not saying that you're the best leader that's ever been and everything that you do is right, but it's you having the comfort to be who you are and that transfers across, you know, so many areas and that only comes through experience and age and maturity. Um, but when somebody's 100% comfortable in their own skin, people gravitate towards you. And I think that was what I, through many learnings, based my whole leadership journey on was just staying true to who I was as a person, um, always being open and knowing that I wasn't always right um, and taking feedback on board. Um, but, you know, giving everybody the time and, and trying to be better while remaining true to who I was. So um, leadership's a funny one. You know, you can talk for hours and hours on it and still remain in the same spot, I believe, at times. Well, I have no doubt your leadership will continue to take you to many wonderful places. Laura, genuinely, you are a true inspiration. Thank you so much for spending 30 minutes with me. You've impacted so many lives already and I have no doubt you'll continue to do so. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. 